On this episode of the Surgeon Masters mini podcast, I have with me retired U.S. Navy Captain David Marquet. David is also a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Turn the Ship Around and Leadership is Language. David, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jeff, for having me on your show. Welcome, all listeners. So really interesting stuff. You've written, you speak a lot. It seems like you have a tremendous amount of experience in this area. Tell me a little bit more about your background. So I was a nuclear submarine commander, and I came up through a organizational structure which really rewarded knowing the right answer. In the nuclear Navy, we spent a lot of time educating ourselves on the technical operations of the reactor plant and the people who can answer the test questions best, who can tell the team what to do best, are the ones who get rewarded. That sounds like surgery and medicine, too. Tell me more. What's wrong with that? <laughs> so on the strength of that, I, I, I got uh, rewarded and promoted, and I guess I was selected to be a submarine commander. And for 12 months, the Navy has the ability to take an officer offline for 12 months and send them to school to learn your specific submarine. Now, this is you've been a submarine officer for 15 or 16 years at this point. Going to spend another 12 months learning your specific ship, redrawing the piping systems, redrawing the ventilation system, memorizing set points. And so you are very well steeped. You could basically walk around the submarine and do anybody's job. Wow. It's a structure of, I call it knowing and telling. The job of the leader is to know the right answer and tell people what to do. Unlike a surgeon, you really don't do anything <laughs> as a submarine captain. The only thing you do, there's two things that you do maybe three, but one is you operate the periscope. So you may see in the movies, like hanging on the periscope. And a lot of times the captain can do that. And then you, you do pattern recognition. Submarining is a very ambiguous domain to live in. You can't see things. If we drive down the road, we see the truck gets bigger, the brake lights are on, everything is consistent. My senses are reinforcing what the world is actually happening around me. But on a submarine, the enemy's trying to spoof you. So there's a noise over here that doesn't sound like a submarine, but my, that actually is a submarine. And there's a noise over there that sounds like a submarine, but that's not the enemy. That's the decoy. So you have to put patterns of intel, messages from off the ship, what you're seeing on your own sensors, what the crew's telling you, what people are thinking. So it was a very sort of nebulous, ambiguous world. Anyway, at the end of that 12 months, there was another ship. I didn't go to the ship I trained for. I went to another ship, one of the newest ships in the Navy. The reason was because the captain there quit early. The problem for me, it was not the same kind of submarine. It was a different kind of submarine I'd ever been on. And so all this education was, was nearly irrelevant. Obviously, the physics and the laws of nature were the same but the specific operations were different. And I walk in with this telling, knowing mindset, but now I'm not really knowing. But I gave orders and my guys did. It was scary. They did what I told them to do. And it was wrong. There, there was this one dramatic moment where I basically asked them to shift in, hey, why don't we shift into second gear on this one particular engine? And there was only, it was a one gear engine because the Navy and when going to the subs modernized and simplified. And they did it. And then the sailor was like, uh, just kind of shrugged his shoulders <laughs> and he couldn't do it. And we all know organizations where pe people basically do what they're told. Sensing that 
a, a probability that the thing's wrong. If it's 100% wrong, people will probably stand up. But we know from studies in the operating room and studies on airplanes and studies corporations and our life experience that people are biased towards doing what they're told if that's destruction. And the solution we think is to exhort people to speak up, to tell them they have permission to stop, to tell them they have permission that I'm wrong. But to me, these are inadequate. They fall short because it's really, we're sort of swimming upstream in a river which is moving very rapidly in the direction of do what you're told. The best way to get out of it is to not make any decisions, is to let the team come to you. Because then you never put the team in a position where they have to tell the boss, the head surgeon, the CEO of the hospital that they are, oh, hey, I think you might be wrong, which is socially, it's awkward. And we bias against this much as we want that behavior. And so we have all these behaviors that reinforce the notion you should do what you're told. Even something as simple as this. Hey, so I think we got... Mr. Marquet on the here, and we're going to amputate his right leg, right? Yep. So it's we're asking a binary question in a way that's reaffirming what I've already got my pre-notion, which is the wrong way to do it. The probability of someone who thinks that nah, I might be wrong, but I'm only 1% sure, and nah, he seems very certain, so I'm not going to say anything. So what we would learn to say on the submarine, there are a couple of differences. We would learn to say things like, even after the decision is made, so what could be wrong? How could this be like, tell me who's someone who sees, if you see it differently, tell me, we'd have to invite that. We call it inviting dissenting opinions. Second thing is we stop getting permission. Most organizations, basically they, they're sort of in this position between either people got to get permission, which is designed to prevent things from happening. Everyone's waiting. Oh, I could, didn't get a chance to talk to the boss. So yeah, we, I'm not sure whether we can do this. Or we say, oh, it's better to get forgiveness than permission. And then we just do things, which again, you don't want. I, you don't, I don't think you want that if you're responsible for an operating team. You don't want people just, quote, doing things. So where we got to was a middle ground, which I think got the best of both. It got the bias for initiative that an ownership that doing things had, but it also had control, which was intent. So people would say what they're about to do before they did it. And this was in an operational sense. We're, we're going to launch a torpedo, flooding the torpedo tube, opening the outer door, pause, then push the button. I have a chance to say, stop. I have a chance. Hands off was our code word. I have a chance to say, hands off. I have a chance to ask a question. I have a chance to veto it. But if I don't say anything, the action happens. And no one can then later say, oh, yeah, I thought it was a bad idea, but the captain told me to. Because it comes from them. And longer operational plans like, hey, Captain, tomorrow I intend to backhaul torpedoes and load missiles into these tubes. I intend to change the way the sonar operating system is to optimize it for shallow water rather than deep. I intend to surface the ship in this location and submerge 12 hours later, whatever it happens to be. And they were all coming to me. Now, up to this point in my life, leadership was unbelievably taxing and burdensome. It felt. If I felt like I was always putting energy into the system, I, I cared the most. I was the one thinking about it day and night. And I would be frustrated. It's like, well, is no one else like, where are your ideas? And well, how come I'm the only one thinking here? And I'd run around, tell people what to do, and then run around, make sure they were doing it. And then they weren't doing it right. And then I'd run around, tell them. How. It was just exhausting. 
And when we got this transition right on the submarine, and it happens from you leaning back, leaning back in your team. And so I don't know if you have the privilege or the ability to do sort of practice surgery or training surgery or talk through surgery. A lot about doing training. Yep. Yeah. But the more you can lean back and let the team come to you, I think your life will be better. One, you'll make fewer mistakes. Two, the team will speak up more. Three, they'll feel more valued because they're creating more value. You make fewer mistakes because now you have everybody thinking, not just thinking, but taking action or at least vocalizing. If you forget about something, it's not going to get dropped. And sure, I know there are practices in medicine that are working on this. It's just probabilities. I just want to increase the probability that someone who sees something. And the other thing is you want to give people permission to say, if they say something like, hey, I think this may be the wrong course of action or you're about to cut the wrong. Give them permission to give them a percentage. I think this might actually be the flu, not COVID, 45%. And that percentage allows them to say things that they're not sure about. So, mm-hmm. and I needed my sailors to tell me things, hey, I think we might be about to shoot the wrong target, but I'm only 2% sure, but it's a big outcome. <laughs> We're killing the wrong people. So it's really important to say it. So in a world where we say, are you sure? Again, binary question. So we always start the question with the word what or how. How sure are you? 85%, 2%. And don't act like, I don't know, like, what does that mean? Who cares? Is it big, medium, low? It's just the fact you're giving them permission to give probabilistic. My sister's a doctor, so you guys probably already know this, but she talks about people giving, she uses the phrase fractional diagnoses or hey, this could be 30% this, 80%, what 60% that. So my life got better because the stress left me. The whole team was coming to me all day long. Energy was coming into me. And I was freed up to, I would check, hey, I could ask questions. Do you really know what you're doing here? I ask questions, basically two categories, competence and clarity. If you come to me about the sonar, I need to know that you know sonar, whatever it is. And then I also need to know, do you understand our mission? What we're really trying to do here, which is more nuanced than support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That doesn't help me. Like, what what are we trying to do? We're trying to go hunt, find another ship. We're trying to find a certain kind of ship. We're trying to collect cell phone signals. We're trying, like, this all require, we're trying to protect the aircraft carrier from an intruder. These are all required different postures for the submarine, different ways of operating. And I saw patterns that I didn't see before. This made me but the stress, I had a lower stress level. I had improved health. I was able to control my weight better for these six-month deployments when we got basically no exercise and we were at sea. I was less quick to sort of react with anger when things didn't go, quote, my way. But I saw patterns that I hadn't seen before because I would just be sitting back sort of looking at what was happening. And I say, you know what? I think this thing we're hearing on radio is the same thing that we got this message about yesterday, which might also be the same thing we're seeing on sonar. And hey, what do you guys think? Like, oh my gosh, that's genius. This is the thing we've been looking like, how Captain, you're a genius. How'd you put that together? And I would laugh and I'd say, because I don't have anything else to do. I just sit here looking at all these panels. <laughs> it's really interesting stuff because I think that what I'm hearing is I'm hearing a lot of nuances of, if you will, leadership communication, that there's avoiding binary questions, yes or no, or other binary options, and 
a bit more about the what and how, and then the advantages of that in leading a team. Yeah, 100%. The phrase we had over and over again is, what would that sound like? Or I would say, when I was on the submarine, I'd say, what words are going to come out of your mouth? Because I'd ask the officers, hey, what do you want to do in this situation? Well, we need. if this were to happen, I need to shut the flood control levers and conduct an emergency blow. That, to me, is a philosophical discussion. That doesn't make the submarine survive and rise to the surface. Actually shutting the... So I said, well, what words come out of your mouth? What What's the order you're going to give? I Over and over and over again, I say, what words come out of your mouth? So when the, the officers would say, they, it was always, prompt, well, I would. And I just stop them right there. <laughs> what words? And so, for example, with the team, we love this word intent. But I'll give you another one, which is we versus they. All you need to do is listen to the team members. For example, I outlawed the word they. Uh, Santa Fe was my submarine, so it was convenient. Right? No they on Santa Fe. We had days by uh, hierarchy, and we had days by department, and other days. And then, so we had to say we. So, for example, certainly on a surgical team, I shouldn't hear people referring to somebody else as they. Well, they, the staff, or someone in the room, that's clearly should be, a, everyone should be referring to each other as we. And then it becomes a team. Don't preach, be a team, and then have people say whatever they want. Just enforce a protocol that we refer to each other. While we're in this operating theater, everyone will refer to everyone as we. I would have that as a rule. Now, it's a little bit different because I know the teams change around and what we had was much more of a stable team. But in hospitals, my experience has been I go in and say, well, they will do that. Well, they will check you. Well, who's they? Like, oh, well, that's the, uh, you know, that's a different person or that's they're a different part of the hospital. Or I was once overnight in a hospital for a thing and the water, the near closest water fountain was all clogged up and it was full of water and it was unpleasant and you couldn't drink out of it. And I, I was right across the nurse's station. So I went to the nurse's station and said, hey. I'm trying to get water, but in this water. Oh, well, we've called them. Like, well, who's them? Like, is that a different? It makes no sense. It's not a team. The we, they boundary defines the team. So they're not looking at the people who fix the water fountain as part of their team. It's like them. They're in a different tribe. So I can blame them. I don't need to trust them. I'm going to compete with them as opposed to we. So there's no sense of ownership. And uh, it was a pretty dysfunctional, dismal place for a number of reasons, but that was a symptom of it. Well, I love the the skill that you developed, which is a lot of pattern recognition and noticing the impacts of those patterns, right? I also think that just driving back to another message as we maybe close up or wrap up, that the benefits of the this improved communication to you as a leader were lower stress, improved decision-making on your part, and because you were allowed to recognize patterns or do what you were overall responsible for as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. This is the biggest thing is it's people like, oh, I'm going to do it. It's great for your people. They love it because they they, they, they felt they had more autonomy. They felt more ownership. They started thinking like submarine commanders. I mean, long, long story short is Submarine got the highest score in the history of the Navy for operating. Retention went to 100%. 10 officers, the most anyone has ever heard of, became selected for submarine commanders over the next 10 years. My guys got disproportionately promoted, 
hands and feet over everybody else. So they loved it. They love being turned into thinking animals as opposed to just do what you're told animals. But the ultimate benefactor is you, in my mind. And I don't try and shy away from the fact that, hey, like this is selfish. This is, I call it long-term lazy. I'm going to work my tail off now to create a team of thinkers. So I don't have to think about all your jobs. I just need to think about my job. And you guys are going to have initiative. You're going to come into me and all day long. You're going to have a great idea. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the activity. Here's the homework assignment. The next 10 times you go to a restaurant, don't order. See if you can get the server to choose your meal for you and put it in front of you without you knowing what it is. This is a tall order because you're changing the script. Most of them in that situation are going to say, well, I guess I'd bring you the salmon. It looks really good today. And say, ah, nah, it's up to you. When you put it in front of me, I'll know. Now, here's the key to this, though. So in other words, we're going to practice empowerment. Leadership, it's not like theory, like history class. It's practice. So we're going to practice. And the secret is you got to connect with that person as a human being. If you just go in and just order them to, hey, you choose from me, it's not going to work. Just like empowerment won't work in your office. It's about safety. They need to be able safe to be able to step up and make these decisions. Now, in this case, I'm actually pushing it to you decide. Normally, we think that's beyond optimal. So optimal is they state their intentions. So they would say, hey, I intend to bring you the chicken and you can maybe veto it. But just for fun, we like to say, hey, see if you can get them to choose. It doesn't always work. I was in Vegas yesterday and I was at a restaurant. And I, I just couldn't get the guy to pick. He's just like, well, I will pick you. I'd give this to you. And he looked at me like, I'm like, it's up to you. Well, it's really what like, he wouldn't walk away until I like nodded and said, OK, fine. <laughs> so that was a failure on my part to do it. But do it 10 times. Notice when it's easy for you. Notice when it's hard for you. Notice how the person reacts. Watch their body language. And just try it. Try it. You know, maybe it's too big. Try it with just, okay, you pick the wine or you pick the main course or whatever. But practice it. Don't just think about it. Well, I love that concept. And it reinforces a message that I bring home in probably every podcast, which is practice is the key to all these skills. David, thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks so much. There you have it. In less than 10 minutes, this is Jeff Smith along with Captain David Marquet. Until the next episode of Life Improvement Strategies for the Surgeon Who Wants More. Ciao.